0: Smosh became the first popular YouTube channel in 2005, and has remained among the most popular channels on YouTube ever since. It would take almost 15 years, however, before Smosh followed other YouTubers by embarking on its first live tour in February 2020, which ended just as the coronavirus pandemic was sweeping the globe. As of June 2020, Smosh had earned more than 25 million subscribers to the main comedy channel, plus another 7.5 million for Smosh Games, and another 7 million for Smosh Pit. Over the first 15 years, Smosh created mobile apps and games, made a feature film in 2015, and another movie specifically for YouTube's premium customers, and they lost a co-founder along the way. Smosh co-founder Ian Heacock sat down with me over Zoom to talk about it all, from the humble beginnings in Flash animation on Smosh.com, to now working alongside and four fellow first generation YouTubers Rhett and Link, and more, so let's get to it! So Ian Hickox, uh, last things first, how did you manage to be, uh, to find the last possible moment as a first generation YouTuber to go on a live tour?
1: That, that's a, that's a confusing question. <laughs> yes. I feel like I've already I, failed the podcast.
0: <laughs> so, okay. so many, okay.
1: Okay. Oh, got it. Got it. So one of the first YouTubers... For those of of you just
0: tuning into the the podcast, uh, (laughs) which is hopefully all of you, Um, Ian Heacocks is uh, one of the co-founders of Smosh. And out of all of the YouTubers to mount live tours, you waited until February of 2020 to go on a live tour.
1: Yeah, we really wanted wanted the tension of uh, touring during the beginning of a pandemic. I well, we felt what, like that would that would help our comedy.
0: So yeah, so what was first what was that what was that experience like being on tour in February when people weren't really sure what mm-hmm. was going
1: on? Yeah. Uh <laughs> so we we had always seen uh our friends doing doing tours and, and we always considered doing a tour but it just never, we can never quite crack it because our setup is very different from, you know, a a singular YouTuber where we're an ensemble. So that makes things a little bit trickier, but also, you know, it's like, do we, do we go out with sketches? Do we go out and tell stories or whatever? So that took a while to crack. So by the time we, uh, finally figured it out and then went on the road, uh, pandemic started so we were uh, in february like everyone everyone knew about the virus and it and it felt like it was an inevitability that it was going to hit um but we're like well it's not it's not bad yet uh so we still did meet and greets um hugging uh hundreds of people (laughs) every every uh stop and uh and then, yeah, we, we did that. We just did uh, five cities. It was really fun. Um, and then we went to Australia for the, they have this kind of like a Comic Con type thing called Supernova. And we did a couple meet and greets there. And that was in March. That was in like March. Okay. So the pandemic was getting a little bit more serious, a little mm-hmm. bit more serious. And we were like, okay, uh, should we be? touching people should we be doing this but everyone in australia didn't really give a shit about the virus like at the beginning Mm -hmm. like everyone was out like nobody was wearing masks like it seemed like nobody really cared about it or took it seriously um until the very end of the trip when we were in gold coast uh the same place at the same time that uh tom hanks got the virus right and we're like and we're like okay we're going to have to change the meet and greets cause this doesn't seem safe anymore. And then sure enough, like that, that was definitely the turning point because when we, when we came back to the airport, all of a sudden there was like some travelers in like full PPE and uh, our, our flight actually back to the States. So our flight to Australia was kind of empty. It was nice. Mm-hmm. But the flight back to the States was packed because all the, people were freaking out that they were going to close borders so yeah it was it was weird we definitely saw like the shift happen like in a matter of a couple days like everyone started taking it seriously but maybe that's because of tom hanks i don't know
0: right tom as i recall from march tom hanks really was the first one to put a face to the COVID 19 pandemic and people were like yeah. oh if if america's friendliest movie star mm-hmm can get yeah. this and possibly die then we're
1: all <laughs> screwed and we were there in Australia where they where they were the the very first ones they were the uh, the early adopters of the toilet paper panic buying oh, so there you could not like they, their food was was fully in stock, everything was in stock except for toilet paper. It was impossible to find toilet paper anywhere to mm-hmm. the point where I think a newspaper uh printed out a couple extra pages in there their, in their no. edition, so people could use it as toilet paper.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it was an I, interesting I, time. I, I don't want to belabor our audience too much with talking about 2020 because it feels like yeah. that's all we hear about. So, uh, indulge me as I take a page out of Smosh the movie oh, and, okay. Oh, and it, it, all right. <laughs> which I just rewatched on Netflix.
1: Oh, it's, did you now? Yeah,
0: it's still out there. Um, <laughs> And uh, we'll jump into the portal back in time. Mm. Okay. Um, it's it's funny watch. It's a little bit extra funny watching Smosh the movie now, knowing that one, it was directed by Alice Winter, mm-hmm. and, and there's a new Bill and Ted movie coming yeah. out now. Did you did you guys were you guys envisioning Smosh the movie as a Bill and Ted kind of adventure?
1: No, and that was and that was a weird thing where. I don't even know how they how they reached out to Alex Winter to do it, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was just kind of like a weird coincidence. <laughs> and I remember, I, I remember somebody asking him about Bill and Ted Three when we were on set, oh, right. and he was like, and he was like, oh, you know, like oh shit, it's happening. <laughs> just uh, have wait,
0: just have to wait for the world to end.
1: Yeah, but that's that's like. <sighs> that movie is such a funny time capsule of cause our comedy isn't, isn't like that anymore. And that was only, that was only, Oh God, I, I guess that's probably five years now.
0: Right. Came out in 2015.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I feel like it, I, I haven't, I haven't watched it in, in a long, long, long time. I mean, probably not since it came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I see clips occasionally people send me clips and I'm just like, wow. How far we have come.
0: (laughs) Uh, One of the things that jumped out for me personally uh, was uh, seeing Alicia Yaffe as the high driver, because um, back in 2005, I was a newspaper reporter in Boston when he was a college student at Emerson. And so Hmm. I remember covering him and the, the sketch comedy videos that they those kids were making like chocolate cake cities broke back to the future, which went viral back in like 2006. But at that same time, it's like, it's hard for me to wrap my hand around the fact that that you and Anthony were just 16, 17 years old out in Sacramento, just embarking on this grand adventure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, the funny thing is, you know, I know this is like a, a, comics podcast but neither neither anthony nor myself ever had aspirations to be comics (laughs) like we we didn't have we didn't have any drive to be writers or directors or filmmakers or actors or comedians we were just bored and made some videos and they kind of hit big and we're like oh well there's not any money in this right now but it seems like there's there's something here uh, so we just went after it. Um, I guess, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so weird. Cause I wouldn't, I would never consider myself. I mean, I guess I, I guess since we make comedy, I have to call myself a comic, but <laughs> I never, I never, I never self-identify as a, as a comedian, I guess.
0: Okay. So it wasn't as though, because you guys were in, in Sacramento and then the Lonely Island guys were in the in the Bay area. So Northern, it felt like there was something in the air in Northern California
1: hmm. in the
0: early two thousands where guys were yeah. just making, making weird videos and putting them on the internet, but pre YouTube.
1: Yeah. We definitely looked up to lonely Island. Uh, Cause they were the first ones to, I feel like they just, they were just so good. And I remember when they got picked up for SNL, we were like, yes, yes. like, you know, we kind of look to them as like, you know, what, what we could be doing. And I think we were, we were definitely inspired by, by some of the stuff that they did, especially like their, their music videos. Um, But yeah, it's, it's so, it's so nuts. Like seeing, seeing like where, how they were able to just go from internet video to Saturday night live. Like that, that didn't seem like something that, was a thing that could happen like especially, otherwise...
0: especially because they accomplished it before youtube they were they were hosting their own ho- producing hosting uploading all of their videos on their own website were they yeah because oh, they're i don't because, because they got hired by snl in 2005 which was oh which was the year youtube started so oh yeah, I, I know it's it's, blur, it's, man. It's, it's 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 weird how <laughs> it's weird how in, in retrospect that all works out.
1: Yeah, it's weird to think that there was people that had websites back then rather well, than just three social media uh, platforms.
0: Well, that's why you're an interesting guy to talk to because you and Anthony did have your own website. Like Smosh.com right. was an existing thing.
1: So yeah. what was
0: what was your process like then? You already said you weren't looking to become comedy stars so what was what was the initial game plan with with smosh.com
1: well smosh.com was started in 2002 by anthony as just a website that he created he had like a forum on there so people in our school could talk mm-hmm. um and then there was this this flash animation website called Newgrounds uh that was really popular back in the early 2000s and uh so he kind of modeled a thing similar to Newgrounds and put it on smosh.com so people could upload their animations on there. So he was, he was making some like, like funny little animations and I, I made a couple, but they were terrible. Um, and, uh, so we, we built up this kind of like small little tiny community, started bringing in some like community from the animation world. Um, and then we graduated from high school in 2005 and we didn't have that much to do over the summer because we were both staying in, in Sacramento to go to community college. And uh, we were just bored in his room and, and he played like a theme song to Power Rangers. <laughs> and uh, we started filming ourselves lip syncing to it, but then also adding in like little jokes about the show and do it. And uh, then we put it on our MySpace uh, and, That was obviously that's
0: what you did in 2005.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Myspace baby. (laughs) And, uh, we had a small little tiny community on there and we had to host the video on our own website. And then Mm -hmm. eventually after a couple of videos, somebody, uh, stole the video and put it on this new website called YouTube. And we're like, what is this place? Oh, this is awesome. We can upload our video on there and we don't have to pay the hosting fees. So that was that was the big that was the big draw for us. It's like oh, it will not cost us money for people to watch our videos. Uh, that was the first big draw, and then we realized that there was like an audience on there, and uh, and then we uploaded this this Pokemon lip sync music video, and then uh, we got it on the front page of YouTube because back then you could get people to vote for a video to be on the front page, and. In the early YouTube times, it was all about getting on the front page that's all that mattered because um, there was no, there was no way to discover videos it was It was just like front page or you go to like the most viewed of all time, and you just assume that all the most viewed videos were the best videos right so so we got uh the Pokemon on there, and then that quickly rose to become the most watched video on youtube so just because it was number one, a lot of more people started watching it and more people started going to our channel. And then we we're like, Oh, this is I uh, I don't know. There's a lot of people watching this. This seems interesting. And then that video is removed for copyright. And uh, we we're like, okay, well maybe we should start making some original content. So we started making sketches and right. that's all we really knew.
0: What was, so what was your background in terms of, acting or filmmaking before that
1: nothing i made one spanish uh i made this one video for our spanish class that's it that was my that was my whole uh acting for camera experience and i never never took a theater class uh i didn't didn't watch a lot of stand-up i don't think i was allowed to um (laughs) it's like
0: allowed to what kind of what kind of household were you well,
1: brought up in that? I mean, you know, I, I, I think as a, as a kid I wasn't really allowed to watch anything that was above like PG thirteen. Okay. And a lot of stand up aside from I guess at that time Seinfeld, a lot of stand up was, you know, a little vulgar. Uh so and also we didn't we didn't have cable in the house, so we oh, didn't have okay. Comedy Well Central. that settles
0: that.
1: Yeah. So I didn't I didn't know I didn't know that much comedy outside of like uh I really and I still to this day love it but I really loved uh Spaceballs. So I feel like that was that was one of the that was one of the things that I kind of modeled my comedy after I guess cuz that's all that I really knew.
0: Well, you can't go wrong with Mel Brooks. So that's <laughs> Yeah, that's
1: not, that
0: yeah. not bad. So when you're I was going back to some of those old videos so like some of the very early sketches you did, like one was about one seemed like this art school film about the uh, board game battleship <laughs> <laughs> that I'm still not exactly sure what was going on there. And then, and then, yeah. you, and then you went and did, you went down to Santa Monica and did kind of like this man on the beach.
1: Stuff. Yeah. I still, <laughs> I still like that video. Like I, I thought about that video the other day just with like quarantine and everyone's out on the beach. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what were you, what were you asking?
0: Oh, just like, what was, so what was the strategy? Like, since you didn't have much of a background or, or training, what was kind of, what was the, the thinking there in terms of how you're going to build original content? Did Did you and Anthony like sit down and spitball ideas or were you just kind of ad-libbing it as you went?
1: Yeah, it was mostly just, we just come up with jokes out of conversation between, between him and me. Like it it was, that's basically how we brainstormed every joke is we just be hanging out. And because most of our friends were going off to college, we were really around each other for most of our free time. So. Yeah, every every sort of joke that you see out of, you know, the first 5 years of Smosh was pretty much just all born out of conversation between the two of us.
0: So just like Jerry Seinfeld and Larry David.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> what what happened around 2010, 2011 when you started to add people to the to the team and you know decided to become part of a company which was alloy and then defy
1: but yeah so how did that some, how,
0: yeah how did that happen
1: so we had somebody reach out to us in i think 2007 um and he was like a business entertainment type guy um and he's like well where do you see yourself in five years and we we're you know we we're just two kids and we we're like oh uh, so he kind of, he kind of helped us treat it a little bit more seriously and, and, you know, create a schedule and get consistent and start thinking about it as, as a business. Uh, cause he's like, well, do you want to do this in five years? Do you want to do this in 10 years? And we were like, well, yeah, I mean, like, it's kind of nice. Like, oh, I like doing this. Like, let's keep doing it. So he's like, okay, well. If you want to keep doing that, then you need to make it into something. Um, and this is, I mean, this is obviously before YouTubers were ever considered brands, right? So this like, is
0: before there was, I remember there was a document put out called the YouTube Playbook that kind of inst- that instructed future YouTubers how to go about doing it. And it talked about things like, you have to have a consistent schedule and how to build a subscriber base, all of that stuff. But you were, you were charting the territory.
1: Yeah. This is before anyone was making money on, on YouTube. Like I think we were, I think we started selling shirts around that time and that's how we kind of funded what we were making. But it was before ads were on YouTube. It was before, um, you know, brand integrations were a thing like there was no there was no sponsored content Mm. uh nobody took youtube seriously back then like no no advertiser took youtube seriously uh so there was no there yeah there was like you said there there was no playbook when when we started there was there was no sort of uh, like oh we do this and then this will happen like it was completely uncharted territory and all we the only Examples we could use were, you know, other forms of media and what they did. Um, So the plan was, the plan was, well, let's take this a little bit more seriously. Let's, you know, once we're making enough money, hire people to help us, you know, hire a producer, uh, eventually hire a writer, hire other actors and, uh, you know, help this thing go longer than if we were to just do it ourselves and burn ourselves out.
0: Was that how you you mentioned like looking to see what other media was doing? Was that how Smosh games came into existence in
1: 2012? Smosh, Smosh games was, was pretty organic because our viewers wanted us to do gaming content. So we did a couple we did a couple of like uh, playthrough of uh, of The Sims on our second channel, and it blew up. And people were like, "More, more, 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 more." We're like, "Well, this isn't a gaming channel." So uh, when we were when we were acquired by Alloy Digital, uh, they also acquired this other like gaming channel, and they said, "Hey, well, there's these guys, and they're gamers, and you guys want to start a gaming channel." Why don't you just uh, combine and make Smosh games? So we did that. And uh, yeah, it worked.
0: <laughs> I, you know, I have to confess, you know, I'm Generation X, so I'm an old person. So the idea of, of uh, Let's Play videos <laughs> seems so alien to me. Uh, yeah. So the first time I heard the, the, the word slash name PewDiePie, I was like, what is happening?
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. <laughs> what you what, probably what read it, it and said, what's PewDiePie? die pie?
0: Yeah, what is what is this? Did was that the the same reaction you had or were you like, "Oh no, this is this is where things are, are are going and and we need to be part of this too." And
1: I think at first we I mean, we only we only knew it could be successful because we saw the success when we kind of accidentally did it. Okay. And we were also just looking at YouTube and the the way the way that YouTube was pushing up content at that time it was heavily favoring gaming content so you know seeing PewDiePie come up so quickly and a few and a few other gaming channels come up so quickly we're like okay this is something that people actually have an appetite for and we enjoy playing games so let's do a channel where we play games that seems nice (laughs) When was when was the first
0: time that you noticed that that YouTube as a platform had shifted from what it was when when you got first got involved?
1: I feel like it's shifted many times. Right. But I think I think you can always you can always kind of track the shifts based on a large algorithm change or some sort of change in the revenue. Like when when YouTube started the partnership program, uh, it was just it was ten people. It was our channel and and nine other channels, and they said, okay, we're gonna give you a certain amount of money. We're gonna run ads on your videos, and then they opened it up to you know everyone. That was over I don't know ten thousand subscribers or something, and then, you know, you started seeing all this like you know newspapers picking up and saying, oh, there's people making money on YouTube now, so then, you know. Media companies started trying to come in and doing things but then failing because they were looking at it in an old media sort of way. But then you had these kids that were growing up watching YouTube and were seeing what their favorite YouTubers were doing and learning from what they did. And then when they got old enough, they started doing YouTube, but they were <clears throat> they knew how to do it because they saw they saw what was successful and they took it seriously as as a you know a real career so it's it's interesting cuz like you know when we started nobody it was it was all just kind of for fun uh, but now but now it's like it's seen as a real career right and it's, and it's just so weird that that's that's changed in the matter of you know 10 15 years uh, just the kind of I mean even when when I would tell a, a stranger like they'd ask me what I do like if I was on a plane or something they're like oh what do you do I'm like well I uh, make videos on YouTube and you know in the early days like I just get this look and they're like but like what's your real job like what do you but what do you do to like make money though I'm like "Well, no I, I do YouTube I'm like really there'd be this like it's like cynicism but nowadays it's like you tell somebody you tell somebody you do youtube and they're like whoa okay because everyone understands now that that's a viable thing
0: do you remember when when that when that shift happened when people stopped asking you what your real job was
1: (laughs) (laughs) probably i mean probably depending on depending on how you know tech savvy the person was i don't know maybe maybe eight years ago or something when people were like oh actually yeah i've heard like there's a there's that pewdiepie guy he just makes video video game videos you know Uh, but yeah it's it's been it's been really interesting so now now it's it's funny because i feel like now there's certain media companies that have actually figured out how to make a youtube video so you see you see channels like bone um, it's just like a Condé Nast, uh, own channel and they're killing it because they, un- they finally understand how to do it. Cause they have, you know, young people that understand YouTube behind it. Um, so now it's like YouTubers are competing against actual, you know, large media companies.
0: Right. You mentioned that, you know, the, the shifts in YouTube, Either came about uh, due to sh- uh, changes in the algorithm or the monetization. Mm. Um, I guess that's where the phrase "the apocalypse" comes right. from. How did how did any of those apocalypses affect Smosh? Did they?
1: Well, fortunately, we've always kind of kept our content at a, like a PG thirteen or under. So we've always we've always kind of looked at well if it. If it would be allowed on t v then that's then that's our sort of threshold uh so when the apocalypse happened, it didn't really hurt us that much because the apocalypse was was uh YouTube's reaction to certain edgy content getting you know a coca cola ad on it, and all the advertisers freaked out and they said, "Well, we're gonna remove our ads unless you fix this now so YouTube kind of took this broad stroke uh, and, you know, unmonetized or demonetized uh, anything that could be slightly considered, uh, you know, inappropriate. So violence, uh, really harsh language, a lot of harsh language, um, sexuality, that kind of stuff. But we, we always, we always kind of police their own content and made sure that it wasn't going that far in the first place. So we weren't hurt as much as everyone else and, and the the algorithm's gotten better and, and it's I feel like you're now able to push the boundaries a little bit more than than you would have been able to, you know, two or three years ago when the ad apocalypse first hit. But yeah, people were definitely freaking out. Like a lot of people I think lost, you know, a large chunk of their income in a matter of a day. Like just one day, it was just like bam, like nothing.
0: Like I guess it it helps to be, you know, kind of pure comedy slash just funny videos rather than being political or.
1: Yeah, like the news channels. Like I know uh, Philip DeFranco. I'm pretty sure he got hit really hard because he was talking about world events and like you know this thing's happening in Syria, and then YouTube was demonetizing it because he was talking about you know, a war. It's like, oh, but then you're allowing ABC to report on it and <laughs> they have ads on it? What? But I don't know. I think it's gotten better. So, you know, you made,
0: you and Anthony, while you were still a duo, made two movies. One that uh, previously mentioned Smosh, the movie feature film, and then one, Ghostmates, for YouTube Premium. Was, was YouTube Premium doomed from the start <laughs> in hindsight or
1: well at the time it was called youtube red oh um, yes sorry uh yeah i think it's i think it's obviously it's it's very tough to start a premium streaming service with original content uh when you're competing against the likes of netflix and hulu i mean i think you know, look at Quibi. <laughs> they had, they, they got, they raised like, Quibi? What, like what's like, Quibi, please? Oh, <laughs> you know, the guys that raised a small 1.7 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I was just reading, I was just reading some articles about Quibi yesterday and just like, they, they had so much money and they got all these like huge celebrities and they got all this advertising money and it just fucking, flopped like like they I think they had like a few hundred thousand downloads in like the first couple of days and then it just like dropped immediately and it's, and i think that just goes to show like it's it's very hard to start a streaming service with original content when when the, it's already so crowded and people are doing it better and they have a they have a huge head start on you like how are you supposed to start a streaming service with maybe 20 original shows when you have Netflix, which has 2000 original shows for the same price?
0: Did, uh, did you either with Anthony or since ever consider doing things like leaving YouTube as a platform to do things for someone else, whether it was Netflix or Quibi or
1: I think we've always we've always looked at YouTube as, as our base. It's a it's a I mean there's no better place to make video like our types of videos and have it get discovered by by as many people. Um, obviously TikToks now come into the fray and like that's huge and the discover discoverability on that app is insane. Um, but it's not the same kind of content. Uh, so we never, we never considered leaving YouTube. We, we had discussions like God, like over a decade ago, I remember we took a, we took a meeting with MTV and we were talking about doing, doing a show. And the question was raised like, well, would you leave YouTube, uh, for the time that you're creating this show and put the show up or whatever? So be off YouTube for, you know, eight months or something like that. We're like, no. <laughs> Why would we do that? That's insane. So we've we've always we've always looked at a way like if we're ever going to do anything outside of YouTube, we want to be able to continue consistently releasing on YouTube because that's where that's where the audience is.
0: Was that was that MTV discussion around the same time as the uh, the College Humor show?
1: What they did? Ooh, I don't remember. I mean, it, it was probably around probably around that time. Yeah. Okay. I don't. Yeah, I forgot about that show.
0: <laughs> yeah, and now everybody's forgotten about College Humor.
1: Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. That was bad. Yikes. Um,
0: you know, you ended up though, like, you almost ended up in an RIP situation when the <laughs> shut down, but yeah. uh, managed to find a savior in Ret and Link. Yeah. I I was looking at some of the stories about, uh, you guys joining forces and there's a quote from link where he goes that if you had told him that you guys would be working together or that he would buy you, <laughs> that he, he would have thought that was a smosh sketch.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, it's, it's nuts. I mean, you know, we, we were part of a large digital media company that I think you know made some bets and and some of those bets didn't pay off and they went out of business and we were suddenly uh left with our company on the auction block and it was just going to go to the highest bidder um so that was definitely scary like I was I was ready to leave smosh for good if if it was going to end up in the wrong hands and fortunately it, uh, rent link came into the picture and they scooped it up and it's great. Like, I, I don't think we could have ended up with a, with a better company. Um, cause there was certainly, uh, worse players, uh, <laughs> that were, that were looking at it and it was like, wow, okay. I might have to reconsider my whole, uh, career pretty soon. Uh, but yeah, no, it, 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 it turned out Okay.
0: Was there ever any consideration on your part about uh, using crowdfunding? I know a lot of the newer generation content creators use services such as Patreon to to keep their operations going. And you did do an Indiegogo yeah. back in the day, back in 2013 for, for a game. Was mm-hmm. there ever any consideration to crowdfunding?
1: We we shortly considered it but i don't think cuz i mean since we do sketch comedy and we we have a larger production it would need we would need to raise a lot of money to 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 run this this operation so to do a patreon would only i think scratch the surface of of what we would need to get things going and also, what a lot of people don't talk about with their Patreon is it's a lot of work to run a Patreon. Like, if you're offering a lot of rewards, um, like I know, I know somebody that they they crowdfunded a show, and they raised a bunch of money, and it was considered a success, but they didn't really make any money on the show because they offered all these insane rewards. Like if you pay this much, you get like this poster and a shirt and a copy of this on DVD and this and this and that. And it became this huge headache because they just got so swept up in the idea of creating all this stuff as rewards that they didn't think about like, oh, we actually have to make this stuff and then package all this stuff and then ship all this stuff and what's going to be left. So, I think I think a lot of people a lot of people think like oh Patreon that's e- that's easy that's free money, but it's a, it's a lot of work. Like if you want to treat your patrons right, I'm not saying that Patreon's a bad idea. I think Patreon's awesome, uh, but you know, I think some people don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Gotcha.
0: So what is it like for you now, running Smosh in 2020 with Mythical?
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's been it's been nice. Uh, we've we're in control of it, which is something that I can't say that we had total. We didn't have com- complete control of it when we were under Defy. Um, so, being able to hire on the people that 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 we want, and hire back all the people as well, like we. I'd say maybe half of our staff, if not more came from, uh, the defy time. So it was, it was really rewarding to be able to bring back a lot of people and then also build out our crew with, with people that we felt fit us. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a great environment. I, obviously we can't be around each other right now, (laughs) but, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's working out really well. Um, and it's just nice to be back in control.
0: So you're not in the phase of reopening where you can all show up at the Burbank studio every day and (laughs) nine to five and,
1: yeah i mean we we're, we're we're working on production uh we 're going to start shooting pretty soon, but with a lot of precautions we 're going to be as safe as we as we can possibly be um, we've been shooting at home content um, and that 's worked but uh, uh people are getting tired of it <laughs> like uh, the audience is getting tired of of at home content of, of <laughs> sketches that involve zoom calls. Right. Uh, but it's, it's definitely been, it's definitely been interesting. I, I hadn't operated a camera in probably eight or nine years. So having to refamiliarize myself with pressing record on a camera has been <laughs> interesting.
0: And all those old green screen lessons you had.
1: Oh all yeah. Back. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: Um, Okay so so Ian if I uh if I check back in with you in 15 years yeah. in 20 in 2035 uh are you still going to be making videos do you hope you're still making videos for YouTube
1: I think in one way or another yeah I think uh I think I'm always going to be involved in in this in some way uh I don't know I don't know if I'll be on camera maybe depends depends how how much hair i retain on my head um and you know so i think yeah i don't i don't know if I'll, i'm assuming in some in some way shape or form i'll i'll be involved uh you know maybe it's it's sort of like the lorne michaels thing where he occasionally pops into to sketches <laughs> as kind of like this background person
0: the evil uh, overlord of Smosh.
1: Yeah, I don't mind being an evil overlord. Seems kind of nice. Seems to be working out for him.
0: What? Well, you know, he's an old school broadcaster, though. What? What is the secret to longevity for you as a YouTuber? I mean, I know a lot of people who started out early on, and it and it can feel psychologically daunting to have to keep creating content, especially when you're dependent upon social media. And so it's not just YouTube. It's also... Instagram videos, Instagram stories. Yeah. Yeah, Twitter.
1: It's yeah, it's a lot. I think uh a business partner of mine put it in a good way cuz he was he also kind of came up in in the early sort of YouTube thing. His observation was, you know, there's there's different personality types that that came onto YouTube in the early parts or even now. Um, you have your artists type people and you have your industrious type people like the artists are people that are making the, the really interesting content, the the good content. um, But they burn themselves out because they're, they're just purely focused on, you know, creating something good. And that's not, that's not the one requirement of being on YouTube. So they so they burn themselves out. Then you have like the industrious people that that understand, you know, the algorithms and they understand the work, but it's maybe not great content. It's just content for the sake of content. Uh, so that might not work forever. But if you but there's a few people that manage to be both artistic and industrious, they're a little blend of the two. And those are the people that have the sort of longevity that, you know, they might be able to sacrifice a little bit of their artistic integrity to uh, not, you know, kill themselves. Uh, Because it's, it's, it never ends. The work never ends with, with YouTube uh, or any other sort of like social media thing. So you have to be able to step back or offload some of your work onto, onto other people, hire help. And the problem with, I I mean, like I've talked to so many YouTubers that are stressed out, they're burnt out. And I'm like, well, you could hire an editor. Like, have you hired an editor? And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I've tried it, but it's just like, they just don't get it. They just don't get my, my process. And it's like, bro, you're making YouTube videos. It's not that special. You, You did a cut there. You did a cut there. You're not you're not Stanley Kubrick like <laughs> like just 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 hide just, just somebody will figure out your style just give them the time and then all of a sudden you have six hours of your day back so it's it, yeah I think I'm 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 comfortable with with giving up some of my some of my artistic uh, sensibilities for the sake of my sanity and longevity
0: well uh ian uh congratulations on 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 not just thriving but surviving with your sanity intact and i hope this was not quite every smosh interview ever But um <laughs> no.
1: Oh, no, this was great
0: thank awesome. you awesome thanks a lot ian things first.